Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. You know, there is the, the, the universal church. My mom and dad have, have gone on to be with the Lord, and they're part of the church, even though they're in heaven. But there's also the body of Christ, which is the church that's still in the earth. And of the church that's still in the earth, there are divisions. And I, and I realize there are negative divisions, because there, you know, there are uh, uh, Catholics that you know, declare all Protestants are going to go to hell. We're heretics. There are lots of Protestants, especially the self-proclaimed heresy hunters, who have, you know, all the Catholics are definitely going to hell because they worship the Pope and worship Mary. Uh, but half the Christians are going to hell. I've been told more than one time by the heresy hunters that because my, I didn't agree with their doctrinal stance that there was no salvation for me. I was destined for hell. And you just kind of smile at them and think, God, please don't make me room with them the first thousand years. <laughs> because I guarantee you, when we get to heaven, you're going to be surprised some of the people that are there. You really are. Because we want to judge on outward appearance. And God judges by the heart. Amen? There's also... The remnant. And the remnant, if you want to sum it all up, the remnant are those that knew, know who they are in Christ Jesus. They're, they're sure of it. And they're functioning in their call. Now, functioning in your call has nothing to do with standing at a pulpit. I am called to preach. I'm called to pastor. I'm a pastor and a teacher. There are also prophets. There are also apostles. There are also evangelists. I have stood at times, dipped into the role of an evangelist, but I don't stand in that office as a gift. But I have a gift, of the, the gift of teaching. I felt it operate when I was in the classroom teaching anatomy, teaching physics. I've drifted over and I loved it. Because man, when you drift over and the anointing shows up in your classroom with a bunch of heathen kids, even if you're teaching physics, it makes it easy. Because the anointing will solve problems that nothing else will solve. But primarily the anointing shows up when I'm preaching the Word. Amen? Because that's what it's, that's what it's involved in. But when I'm talking about your call, I'm not talking about being a prophet, an, a, an apostle, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. He, Paul also declares that we all have a call. We are called to be Christians, which... We take it, uh, uh, that term for granted. Are you a Christian? Yeah, that means I I'm, I'm, I'm believe in Christ. Well, I know a lot of people that believe in Christ and they're not Christians. They believe Christ exists. He's a historical figure, but they haven't bowed their knee. They have, they, 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 some of them want Him as a Savior. They do not want Him as Lord. Those are two different things. The remnant invites Him in as Lord. Lord, you have my life. It's not my life. I was bought with a price, and I will do what you want me to do, whether it's sitting in the office of, of ministry of helps, whatever. That's the remnant. The remnant are those that are born again, that, that are seeking God, and doing their best to serve God, whatever their calling may be. 
Well, the question is, how do we get there? I want to be a part of that remnant. How do I assure? Do I have any choice? Do I have any voice in whether I'm part of the remnant? Or is it just I live life the best I can, you know, read the word, pray, and just hope I'm part of the remnant? No, it's a, it's a choice. And there are things to do and things to avoid. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me, we're going to read verse 20 and 21, but let me read um, William Barclay's translation because I, I like the way he phrases. I like the way Barclay phrases a lot of things. But he starts verse 20, 2 Timothy 2. He says, In any great house there are not only gold and silver vessels, there are also vessels of wood and earthenware. And some are put to a noble use, and some to an ignoble use. If anyone purifies himself from these things, he will be a vessel fit to be put to a noble use, ready for any good work. Now, New King James says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. The thing I like about Barclays, he, where he says honor and dishonor, that literally is what the Greek words describe. Honor means great value. Dishonor means not much value. <clears throat> Quite literally, in the ancient world, we're talking about ordinary citizens. We're talking about the cup that you drink out of, or probably... The same bowl you eat your soup and your porridge out of, you're going to drink your water out of. You had one cup for a normal, you know, first century person. They didn't have a kitchen with cabinets. You, you, you do realize that the poorest person in Indianapolis tonight, and I'm talk, not talking about homeless people, but the poorest people actually living under a structure live better than most kings lived in the first century. We have indoor toilets. We have heat on command. We ride a car here and there. or we, If we can't afford a car, we ride a, a, a bus. Uh, we have more than one set of service. We have forks, knives, and even usually the, the poorest of people have food in their cabinets. Most kings didn't have that back in the first century. First century, then you might have a cup. But you also, because... You didn't have indoor toilets. You had an outhouse. Or back then, you probably just had a pit. I mean, they, they weren't really into sanitation first century. But nobody likes walking. Believe me, I've, I'm, I'm a country boy long enough that I lived without houses several different times in my life. In the middle of the winter, you wake up at 2 in the morning and you got to go, you don't want to go to the outhouse. Because I'm telling you, sometimes it's so cold you can't go. But what do you do? You have a pot. You have an earthen well or earthenware vessel. It's called the chamber pot. It's also called, and this quite literally was what people called it, it's called a piss pot. Why you've ever heard the expression, they're, you know, they're so poor they don't have a pot to piss in? And I'm not trying to be vulgar, but in, in ancient times, tanners that tanned leather 
they needed ammonia to tan leather. The only source of ammonia is urine. So if you were poor, you took your chamber pot in the morning, you went to the tanner, and you sold your piss for money. But some people were so poor, they literally did not have a pot. That's a vessel for ignoble use or a vessel of dishonor. This has nothing to do, and I say this quite clearly because I already said it a minute ago, a lot of people will read 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 and say, see, God creates some people to get saved, and some people He creates them to go to hell. No, He does not. He creates everyone to go to heaven. If you reject Him, hell is your destination. But you have to reject Him. He doesn't create anyone with the intention, yeah, that one, I'm just making someone so I can send them to hell. You know, I, may, I built the place, I might as well populate it. As I said before, if you want to worship that God, go worship Zeus. Zeus used people as playthings. We were just ants that they played with. You know, it's, that's, not, that's not Jesus. That's not our Father. That's not their attitude. But notice how th- this is the tremendous thing about Christianity. I can be a chamber pot and convert not just to a single cup like you have for a, 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 you know, a poor family. I got a bowl. I'm going to eat, and we're, you know, I'll clean out that bowl, and then we'll serve up, and then my wife can eat. You know, and then when she's done, we'll use that bowl, and the kids can eat. We only got one bowl in the whole house for everybody. That was not uncommon in the ancient world. Not only can we trans- transfer that, but we were there earlier, and I'm going to go a little, little early this time, but go back over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Well, no, excuse me, 1 Peter. But go to chapter 4. This is another one of those scriptures that people just love to, um, to misinterpret. Chapter 3. What happens when you start changing your notes. Let's, let's just start in verse 1, because we're, we're going to deal with, and looking at my time, we're not going to even come close to getting there today. But verse 1, we're going to talk about this husband and wife relationship, but we're going to think of it more. We're, primarily, we're going to look at it from Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about the husband and wife relationship. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But I'm going to approach it because the very last verse of chapter 5 talks about this is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. That, that, that there is some real practical application of all of those scriptures to marriages. But there's also a spiritual application of Jesus' love and relationship towards us as his bride. Amen? So there, there's our marriages, which are imperfect, but there's the marriage. And that one's perfect. Amen? But Peter even, even writes this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they may without a word 
may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, drop on down to verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, speaking of their wives. This is the, the key though, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now you have to understand marriage when Paul and Peter wrote those things. In the first century, well, pretty much all through Jewish history, a Jewish man, one of the, the phrases in his morning prayers was, God, thank you that I wasn't born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And it wasn't because he was, you know, they were chauvinists and they hated women. It was because of the condition that women had to live with. In a marriage, a woman had no rights. The only way that a Jewish woman could get out of a marriage was if her husband became an apostate and left the Jewish faith. Then she could go to the rabbi and maybe, maybe get out of the marriage. For a husband, there were two camps. There was one camp, and I can't remember the rabbi's name now, but that camp said there's only one reason for divorce, and that's adultery. And if your wife, and this is always directed to the wife, never to the man, because the woman couldn't divorce her husband. But the husband could divorce the wife for adultery. And all he had to do was go to a rabbi with two, with, and have the rabbi write out a bill of divorcement, which basically was a paper that said, we are no longer married, thank you very much. And he had to take two Jewish witnesses with him and hand it to his wife, and they were divorced. And she was out of the family, she took nothing with her except any dowry she brought into the marriage. Which for most people, you know, dowries were something, but a dowry may just consist of your cup for poor people. There was another camp in Jewish society that said, if your wife burnt your supper, that was enough to divorce her over. And quite literally, they could just get rid of their wives at will. Well, you don't have to guess which camp won in the, in the uh, uh, idea of marriage and divorce. It, you know, we, we think that it's only a recent advent in our country, and it is recent in our country, that there was this thing of no-fault divorce, and you can just get divorced at will. Because it used to be hard in, in the United States to get divorced. You had to prove something. Not now. That's getting, having a problem getting into divorce was the, the, the exception, not the rule in the ancient world. Now, in the Greek world, they didn't even have the strict, you know, the Jews were strict compared to the Greeks. For a Greek, there were, the, and I forget the guy, but there was one Greek writer that said, prostitutes are for pleasure, concubines are for companionship, and your wife only function was to give birth to a legitimate heir. That's it. And in a, in a family where there was money and they had the ability because of their money, the wife was put in a harem, secluded by herself, and she, didn't, she took no part in society at all. She was virtual slave until the husband wanted to have an heir. 
And he would go have physical relations with her in order for her to get pregnant to give him an heir. Other than that, they didn't talk. She just, she had nothing. And she had no rights to anything. Now, the Romans, even worse. 200 years before Christ was the first recorded Roman divorce. By the time of Christ, they were writing, one of the, the Roman writers wrote of, of, of one woman who was, this man and woman were getting married, and this was going to be her 23rd husband, and it was going to be his 21st wife. There's recorded one, one person in, in um, one woman in Roman society that had been married eight times in three years. For them, marriage was, you know, it's kind of like in, in my life in middle school, you know, you went steady and you broke up on Friday and by Monday you had a new girl and you were going steady with them until Friday and then you broke up and you, you know, we just switched boyfriends and girlfriends like, you know, everything in middle school. Well, that's how they viewed marriage. So when Paul writes this about marriage, when Peter writes this about marriage, this is, a, this is a, a revolutionary viewpoint of marriage for the ancient world. Paul, Paul writes, or Peter writes, I don't remember exactly where it is now, which one of the writers, but he says, you know, it's, it is Paul, it's in, in Corinthians, that the, the husband, the wife, does not have rights over her own body. And the husband doesn't have rights over his own body. The husband's body belongs to the wife. The wife's body belongs to the husband. People read that and thought, "What have you? did you eat too much pizza last night? Well, where do you get these thoughts? Because Christianity revolutionized the process of marriage. But when, when Peter writes right here, give honor to the wife, that in itself is a revolutionary thought. No society had any, any concept of a husband honoring his wife. Never. But when he says, as to the weaker vessel, that has nothing to do with physical strength. Because everybody says, well, see, that's chauvinistic. They think all, you know, it's poor little damsel. She just too weak. She can't take care of things. The husband, big old strong husband, has to come in and rescue her for everything. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about vessels. You've got a vessel for ignoble use, dishonor, chamber pot. It's going to handle your human waste. You really don't want to touch it unless you just have to. You've got your everyday earthenware. Bill was in the Navy. Some more of you were in the military. When you're in the military, you go to the mess hall. What do the coffee cups look like? They're white china, and they're about three inches thick. That's an exaggeration. But I swear, you could take some of those military mugs, you drop them, they just bounce. Now, you can chip them, but you have a hard time breaking them. That's an ordinary vessel. At my house, I got ordinary vessels. I got cups that I use every day. But I got some cups, they're special. I don't use them very often. My wife has some really special cups. It's called her china. And I don't touch it. I don't clean it. I don't move it, I look at it, and I very carefully and very softly walk away from it and stay away. Why? Because it's weak. You stick that stuff in the, in the dishwasher, I made that mistake once. I got the scars to prove it. It'll break. 
Dishwasher literally will shatter some china. That's why you hand wash it. And you don't use harsh soap. You use warm water. How do you get the food off the stuff? Well, you just wash it gently. Why? Because it's a weak vessel. But it is a vessel that has a very honored place. It only gets used for very special occasions. Now, that is how husbands are supposed to treat their wives. As a vessel of honor. She's not weak in the sense that they can't handle it. You know, I used to joke, you know, if it came to childbirth, if men had to give birth to children, the human race would have ended with Adam and Eve. You're having, it's one and done. I'm going through that maybe the first time. But after that, it's like, stay away from me, because we ain't ever doing that again. Women, are you looking forward to it? No. And, you know, as they're going through labor, that the evil eye gets stronger and stronger, and you just realize she, if she had the strength, she'd kill me right now. And the second that baby's born, they lay that messy little booger up on her belly. Pain is totally forgotten. I got a baby. I got a baby. And they don't remember the pain at all. Why? Because I got the baby. I was joking with Noni somewhere, I asked her how the, the baby was doing. And I laughed and said, what kind of answer do you think, the baby, you're going to get out of a new grandmother? I mean, the baby could have three arms. They don't care. I mean, you do care, but it's like, it's my grandchild. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It could be as ugly as sin. It could stink. But it's mine, and I love it, and it's perfect. Just how it is. Well, we need to treat our wives that same way. But we also need to realize that's God's view of us. That's Jesus' view of us. I am his bride. Now, to be honest with you, I don't like that analogy real well. I try to imagine myself in a wedding dress, and it just scares me. Which, if you've got any brains at all, it should scare you too. But when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't look at me as I really am in the flesh. The dolt, the idiot who does the same, makes the same mistake over and over and over and over and over again. And I know every, every husband in here, you've gotten the look at home. How many times have we talked about this, honey? Well, obviously not enough because I did it again. It's just, how many times do you just do you fall into the same trap, the same trap, the same trap, the same trap? Eventually, you, you would think, I would learn. When I look at myself, I think, why in the world would anybody ever die for me? I'm not worth dying for. I don't even know. My mother loved me. My mom and I had a very special relationship, like every boy and his mama has. But... I'm not sure, you know, there were some days, not only would my mama not die for me, she would have gladly sacrificed me. But Jesus knows me at my absolute worst. He knows things about me that nobody else knows. Things I, don't, I have never shared with anybody, never will share with anybody. No, you know... No value in it. He knows them all. 
And yet he still crawled up on that. Not only did he willingly go to the cross, he actively sought the cross. Have you thought about that? He didn't just start this thing. Peter was ready to have a war. He cut the, the, the ear of Malchus off and he was ready to die. Peter said, I'll die for you. He meant that. He wasn't lying. He had his sword and he would have gone down fighting. Where Jesus nailed Peter was when Jesus said, Peter, put away, put away your sword. If you're going to drink the cup, you're going to have to drink my cup. You think you can drink my cup? You can't. In fact, you'll deny me three times. Peter was more than willing to go down in a fight, but Peter wasn't willing to lay down and sacrifice. Now, he was later in life. In fact, um, um, church history tells us that Peter, they told him he was going to be crucified. He said, no, no. Not like Jesus. You have to put me upside down. Because I can't, I'm, 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 I am the exact opposite of Jesus. That's a big change from denying Christ three times to be willing to be crucified upside down. What changed? He's filled with the Holy Spirit, had a knowledge of the Word, was a mature Christian. That's the difference. But Jesus, does, he, at my worst before I was ever saved, Jesus saw me as a vessel of honor. And he said, that's my child. The devil said, wait a minute. Hello? Have you, have you noticed what that scoundrel did? He stole this. He lied here. He's done this and that and that and this and this and that and that and this. He's got a rotten attitude. I was a teenage boy. Of course I had a rotten attitude. I was like every other teenage boy. I had one thing on my mind as a teenage boy. And Jesus said, you don't have to commit adultery. You just have to look on, look on a woman to lust. By that rule, I committed adultery 500 million times between 13 and mid-20s. Just being honest. And any guy in here that you have mail on your driver's license, just be honest. You're right there with me. The devil looks at that. I've said it before. He knows who you are. The devil does. He knows that you are just like Jesus. But he will call you by your sin. Jesus knows all about your sin, but he calls you by his name. He said, that's not John Roberts there. That's my son. And he's got a name that even I don't know yet. It's written on a stone, and when we get to heaven, he's going to give me that stone with my new name on it. And that I'm, I'm up on his shelf. And if you walk in heaven's kitchen, my picture's on, G, on Jesus' refrigerator. And you come to my refrigerator, that's a place of honor. That's God's view of us. The, the, the good news is, that's his view of me. But also the good news is, if I'm, if I'm a Christian and Jesus looks and says, I'm a he's a vessel of honor, and I look and say, I am one messed up dude. I've been a Christian for me. I got saved at eight. I've been a Christian for 57 years. I should be farther along than I am. Let me just be, I'll confess my sin. We'll, we'll start a chain here. I should be much farther along than I am. I look back on my life, especially my Christian life, I got more regrets than I got things I'm proud of. But at some point, I realize I'm going to run into that brick wall. I've run into it 
a thousand times. I haven't dented it yet. Maybe I shouldn't run into it anymore. Maybe there's a door somewhere. (laughs) That's what Paul says there in 2 Timothy 2. He said, If anyone pures himself from these things, he will be a vessel. But notice King James and New King James, quite literally true. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from sin, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. I love Barclays. Fit to be put to a noble use. He's talking about the process of sanctification. He's talking about being the remnant. And it's a choice. It's a choice. But the end result is not just that Jesus puts me on the shelf and says, that's my vessel of honor. I'm a vessel of honor, but a vessel of honor that He wants to put to use. He's not going to stick me on a shelf and not use me because I'm special. He's going to pull me down off the the shelf and say, all right, you're dedicated. you, You have said, you want me to be your Lord. You pray. You seek my will. Here's my will. Now get busy. And he's going to take that vessel, even though it's a piece of fine china, he doesn't worry about it being broken. Why? Because if I get broken, he can heal me. And does heal me. And I get broken. You know, we, we, it's very common today to, to hear about PTSD, especially with soldiers. Soldiers goes into combat. They get traumatized. They come home. Everything's just hunky-dory. Everything's just fine. Man, something happens, and immediately, emotionally, mentally, they're right back on the battlefield. And they will go crazy on you until they realize they're not on the battlefield. Well, not, this is not my confession, but it's reality. I have PTSD, not from combat, but from s- spending three years with a terminally ill child and sitting by bedside in a hospital knowing she's in the process of dying and watching your four-year-old take her last breath. It's not easy. I had a choice, not this past Friday, but the Friday before. I already told Gina... We would, she wanted me to pray, and she was heartbroken. She is heartbroken. We're both heartbroken. But she was in faith. She was, war, she was doing warfare. And she'd tell me, John, you need to get in here with me. And I finally, I said, just leave me alone. I can't do this anymore. I've reached my emotional limit. I know where I can go, and I know how far I can go, and I can't go another step. You, you take me another step, and I will collapse. Because it, it just all, my PTSD acted up. We walked, and, but I told her, I said, I'm not going down there. I can't do it. I can't go watch a baby die. We got up on Friday morning. She said, well, I'll see you in a while. I said, no, I'm ready to go. Let's go. And she looked at me, and she said, you don't have to do this. I said, I do have to do this. I love Rachel too much to let her go through this alone. Was I afraid of being broken? I was broken. I went into it broken. I came out a wreck. I cried all weekend. I still can't think of it without breaking down and crying. It brought back memories I never, 
ever want to think about. Why would you do that? Because I love my niece. I wanted to comfort her. That's why. I love her husband. I wanted to comfort him. Was it painful? Oh my God. I can't describe how painful it was. But do you think me, the rotten, nasty scoundrel that I am, can feel love? That even compares with the love that Jesus has for me. And to think that he might abandon me because I got dirty. All he wants me to do is just commit to go through the process and and let him take me from a chamber pot full of stuff that nobody wants to deal with to be in a vessel of honor that he will put to work to minister to other people and to take the comfort that he's comforted me with and to comfort others. Now, I have, that is an area that I, I can relate to and I can come, and I've ministered to a lot of people in that area over the years. But each of us has an area that we can come, and if I have never experienced the loss that you've lost, I still know what loss is, and I know where Jesus went and how he comforted my loss. And I know no matter what the loss is, Jesus wants to heal that loss. And if I get broken again in the, in the process, so what? I just have to turn to him and say, Lord, you've got to put me back together again. And what took years to walk out of before? Take a few days. Take a week. You still have to walk out of it. Your emotions will get all crazy. You'll cry at the most inopportune times. It's embarrassing sometimes. You're just going down the street and, you know, strangers see you in the line at Kroger's and suddenly, you're, you know, tears are running out of your, your eyes and somebody asks you what's wrong. You can't talk to them because you know if you try to talk, you're going to start blubbering. And is that, is that price too much to pay to minister to somebody when you know Jesus paid a bigger price than that to comfort me? It's not. That's service. That's being put to use, being sanctified and useful to the Master. God needs us in this world to do what He's called us to do. We are His hands, we are His mouth, we are His ears and His eyes. Now, Jesus can, and, and the Father. They can do miraculous things whenever they want to. God's sovereign. If he wants to just show up, minister to people, change things, he can and sometimes does. But his normal operation, what he wants to do, is to take us as his body and have us become his hands. He wants us to break our own lives, bow our knees, and say, God, just use me. I don't care where I have to live. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care how inconvenient it is. So what if it's inconvenient? 
I've had people wouldn't show up for church on, on, on a, um, an evening during the week because that's the night their shows are on. And I'm thinking, really? Your, your view of life is rather short-sighted. We need to have a view of life that stretches into eternity. You, if you let it stretch into eternity, what you do and what you invest in will change dramatically. God's values will become your values. Amen? Now, I can't stop. I mean, I can't finish. Actually, I can't stop. I'm just going to have to put the pause button on. And we'll take up the rest of this. Because I'm telling you, I've already preached this to myself about 300 times. And there's, this is good stuff. There's really, it's good stuff. So, and I will, and I will tell you, if you want to get a little, a little bit prepared, you can read, in particular, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. We're going to look at the parable of the sower. We're going to look at the parable, all, all of the parables in Matthew 13. Uh, and we're going to land on 1 Peter 5 about casting all your care on the Lord, eventually. But I would encourage you, open your Bible sometime this week, read Matthew 13. Read the, uh, all of those parables, because they're all related. That's why they're all in the same chapter. Duh. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father. It's my desire, and I just open this invitation up to everyone. Lord, I am your child. I know I'm your child. Devil's tried to pull me out of your kingdom and, and convinced me that I'm irredeemable, but you've convinced me I'm not. And I just commit myself, Father. I don't care what the price, I don't care what the inconvenience, I don't care about anything in the natural. I just want to do your will. That's what I want in my life, Lord. I want your will for me. And I'm believing that you're going to help me to do that. And I, just as, as Paul said there to Timothy in his second letter, I consecrate myself, Father, to become a vessel of honor, a vessel that is useful to you to use in the ministry of ministering to hurting people. Lord, it doesn't take us long I can look around at Walmart, Kmart, Kroger's, it doesn't matter, and go anywhere, Father, in a public place. I can find hurting people all over the place. We live in a world that's lost and dying and going to hell, and people are hurting in the process. I'm just believing you, Father. Give me opportunities to minister the love of Christ to those that aren't saved and in in particular to those that are saved that they can they can get their wounds healed to the point where they can start being useful to your use that we might rise up and be the army of god to preach the gospel to every creature and to see you have promised father i've heard prophets for 30 years lord prophesy about the last great revival before Jesus comes back. Lord, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. I want this church to be a part of it, Father. I want to see people born again.
here. And I declare it's going to happen here. We're going to see people, and it's not just going to be in our church services, Father, but we're going to, I'm, I'm believing that this body is going to get so on fire to follow Jesus that we're going to get people saved at work. We're going to get people saved at the store. We're going to get people saved. We're going to preach the gospel and people are going to come up to us in the bank and just say, my God, what do I have to do to know this Jesus that you're talking about? And we're going to see people saved out in our lives. And then we're going to bring them to church so they can make a public statement that I have changed and I've been born again. And I'm believing, Father, that we are going to be so on fire that people will just stop to watch us burn. And it'll give us opportunity. Opportunity to witness your love and to witness to your care in our lives that it might be an invitation to everyone to come and know you, Jesus. And to get changed. To have their lives transformed. God, Please, I'm asking you, I'm begging you for me. Don't leave me the way I am. I'm open to you. Change me. Change my heart. Change my way of thinking. I want to be conformed to your will above everything else. Don't leave me where I am. I give the Holy Spirit permission to prick my conscience consciousness to prick my soul every time I step out of line in the least little way that I might be able to know you and the power of your resurrection in my life and be attentive to your voice in my ear. Do be attentive to your word in this Bible. And if you agree with that prayer and that's what you want, then we all say amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at fccindianapolis.com.